This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10 off T E N O F F for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Everything Went Black. My good friend, rock and roll scribe, and fellow musician, Jay Bennett, joins us for Heavy Metal Massacre 2, The Vocalists. We just run down some of our favorite singers in the heavy metal genre and talk about the associated Spotify playlist, which um, I welcome all you guys to check out probably heard of a lot of the bands on there it's nothing out of the ordinary it's basically just a music appreciation uh set and uh stuff that just uh we enjoy and um i don't know it might just be like a cool uh background for you guys when you're getting ready to rage on a friday night before we get going i want to thank jost our newest member to the patreon fight club and uh, you too can join for as little as $1 or $5. You choose. For $5, you get early access to all the episodes plus all of the weekly bonus content. For $1, you get the bonus content. That's the way it goes. Uh, yeah, in the future, we're going to be adding more tiers, doing more stuff. Um, I don't know. The sky's the limit, man. We can do whatever we want, which is kind of cool. Anyway, onward. Jay, how's things going, man? Good, man. Good. You know, I'm uh, I'm here in Los Angeles. Um, I saw a couple of shows this week, which I haven't, you know, it's been a long time for shows. So I saw Sumac last night, which was great. And then uh, the night before that, I saw Midnight with Mayhem. Oh, nice. So, um, so getting out. Yeah, getting out into the world again. Bands are touring again. Uh, I like that, you know. Yeah, that that mayhem tour is coming here. I got tickets for that as well. Um, you know, I, I I've been out seeing some shows. I caught Cannibal Corpse recently. Uh, that was uh, they're the masters of death metal, so that was pretty pretty incredible seeing them play again. Yeah, yeah, it's, they're they're um, it's kind of impressive that they have been around for so long and still kind of operate at that level, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of feel like the the newer material is like maybe since Rutan joined the band, it's really given this like injection of adrenaline into their into their music. It seems like. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I don't think you can go wrong having Rutan involved with 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 anything. No, <laughs> you know totally. what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, what a great dude. Yeah, haven't haven't uh, worked with him, uh, you know, on records. He. Uh, He's like one of those uh, guys who you kind of have to rise to his level, you know, so that's why I'm not surprised that the, the latest Cannibal Corpse stuff is is so good, you know, regardless of who you are. Yeah, man. He said, I mean, he sets a high bar, you know? Yeah. So this is a uh, metal massacre, heavy metal massacre too. And um, I just figured we'd do a follow-up because everyone seemed to enjoy uh, your last uh, outing on this show, you know? And, um, so yeah, I, I thought this time around we would focus on our favorite heavy metal singers, and um, 
I, I know that you're a big fan of like hard rock and heavy metal and I, I grew up listening to this music and it was pretty close to me when I was a kid. But in the last few months, I feel like I've really rediscovered a lot of this stuff, you know, and, and um, that's why it's a lot of fun to go back and, and listen to this music. Uh, a lot of it's still in heavy rotation, but also to kind of reminisce on like how it entered my life. You know, I had some colorful stories about uh, UFO and naked women and that kind of thing and being on a nude beach and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know, I, I just... There always seems to be funny stories about growing up listening to uh, to hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah, man. You know, I think that something happened. I think for me it was like 15 years ago or something where I just started going back to all the stuff that I listened to when I was a, a teenager, like a, ki a kid or even younger, like back when I was like even like seven or eight, like when I first heard like ACDC and Van Halen. It happened to me, yeah, like 15 years ago. And then I just got kind of deeper and deeper into it. And um, now it's like I still listen to new music, of course. I mean, I kind of have to for my work, but I just kind of find myself like, I don't know, maybe it's just like being an old dude now. It's just like my comfort zone. I was like, that's what I like. It makes me happy. So that's what I want to hear. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, hasn't, it hasn't really changed. I mean, who knows? I mean, it could maybe another you know, few years go by and be like, all right, I'm sick of hearing all that shit. But it's been like a solid 15 years of like being back in this zone uh, and it feels pretty good. <laughs> One of the things I've always admired about this period of music is how uh, it, it was about like albums and and I mean this might be um, me kind of romanticizing it, but it seemed more about bands having a career as opposed to just having like singles. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was both, man. I mean, that was the thing, and they had singles too. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was you could follow the band and kind of see. The different, and especially with a lot of the bands we're going to talk about today, the different eras, different lineups, things like that, um, uh, and kind of how that affects things. But then also, they were putting out singles, and like a lot of these times, these are these are songs that would be in the charts, you know, which is like not really. The charts are kind of a thing that don't apply to heavy music anymore, and haven't kind of for a long time, you know. So it's it's it was kind of like a an interesting snapshot um, of history, I guess, you know? Actually, it's something that I've been curious about. And, and since you are definitely, uh, you know, you're in the business of, of music journalism and, you know, you know a lot more about that stuff than I do. So I was, was curious about charts, you know, and chart position and band, you know, is that even a thing anymore? Or is it just Spotify? Yeah, I numbers? mean, it is. I yeah, I mean, I get emails and stuff from publicists and people who, like, you know, are always touting that stuff about, you know, their bands and everything. But I kind of doesn't, I don't know, I don't really pay much attention to it. I don't follow it. To me, it's not, it's kind of like, I, I, I think about it like the Grammys or something. Like, I, it's hard for me to think about music as like a contest or like something you do for trophies. You know what I mean? Like, that's all sports. I, I you know, I don't, I stopped watching sports a long time ago because I, that aspect of it kind of didn't interest me. I mean, there were a lot of reasons, but that was one of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that whole concept of like, let's, you know, we're all, we're, we're I want to be number one. I want to win a fucking trophy that like a bunch of old white dudes decide is who's cool, you know? And, and, you know, the, the, the Grammy thing, this came up recently cause I was talking to Matt Pike um, and High on Fire won a, a Grammy a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which I thought was fucking shocking, you know. Um, 
And I said to him, I was like, look, man, I was like, man, I kind of the Grammys to me kind of exposed themselves as a fraud. Um, of course, you remember it was in 89 when I think it was the first year they did like a Grammy for metal or one of the first years. Um, and they gave it to like Jethro Tull over Metallica, you know, and I was just like, oh, that's what a crock of shit, you know. Um, but then when I see, you know, High and Fire um, win one, I go, oh, well, maybe 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 they're not totally clueless, you know, I mean, are, are some I, or maybe it's a fluke. I don't know. But he said the same thing. He was like, yeah, dude, he's like because he had he had like injured himself and had like was walking with a cane. He'd done something to his foot or something. Uh and he was walking with a cane. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't have sat like 400 yards back from the stage if I thought that I was going to win. He was like, no one was more surprised than I was. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. But I mean like charts, you know, like like top 100, top 40. Yeah. Like is that – Yeah. Was that – what was that based on back in the day? Uh, Well, I don't know. I mean I think, well, I think back in the day you're talking about there was – like certainly payola was involved ah, yes. um and, and there was also like um you know i think uh uh, uh you know station managers would, and, and djs would turn in their playlists uh some of which may or may not have been influenced by payola um so they would like tally up you know how often you know how many spins it's getting in detroit how many spins it's getting in boston how many it's getting in la that kind of stuff um, and then, yeah, sales, but even that could be, even that before like sound scan sales would be like, you could fudge those numbers, you know? Um, so it was all pretty until sound scan kicked in. Um, I think all of that stuff was pretty malleable, let's say, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. You know, you know? And, and of course we know that the music industry is, uh, ran by reputable people. So, you know, no, yeah, no, no there was a great, uh, <laughs> I read this great article about uh, like about the band Heart with the Wilson sisters, um, and like they when they put their first record out, and I think you know it was the single. I don't know if it was Magic Man or it was one of their big hits. It was like the single, and so literally it would be them and the radio promote the two sisters Anne and Nancy Wilson in this in like a station wagon with the with the um, like radio promotions guy from the label, and they would drive around the Pacific Northwest going to all the stations doing interviews and she was pretty open about like she was like yeah and you know the the radio promotions guy would like give the guy like our single and like a gram of coke like that was just that was just how things were done like that's how we got on like she was just totally like yep that's how we got on the air or whatever you know (laughs) yeah but at least they were a great band though because I mean that early yeah no totally I mean totally they deserve that but I mean it's just crazy that that's like to think that 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 song could have possibly like languished in, in, in obscurity because some guy didn't get his fucking cocaine or no one got any cocaine uh, <laughs> is bananas to me, you know? <laughs> Such a, st- we're starting to show off on a very cynical note. It seems like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, listen, we both spent uh, we both spent plenty of time in Boston, so it's good time to come out sooner or later. Some, some cynicism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On the uh, Patreon portion of the show, I, I do a thing called uh, Guide to Important Music. And um, people have asked me about Slaughter Shack and La Gratona and stuff like that. So I just had Colin on as a, uh, a guest yeah. to, to talk about those old Boston days, which I thought was a really cool episode. 
That's great. I'll have to listen to that. Colin's great. Yeah, you ever you ever checked? You ever have you? Did you ever see Slaughter Shack, or were they a little bit before your time? I Slaughter Shack was but before my time. They were like had already. I think they had already entered like sort of legendary status by the time I was around. Um, yeah, but uh, I I, I want to say I did see La Gratona though. Yeah, probably uh, you've seen that. I think I'm pretty sure you you must have seen them. They were they were yeah. like happening around the time I think you were in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, Slaughter Shack was such a great band, though, man. They were like this. I w- I used to see Colin around Alston, like I was still in college, and um, I would see him and John Queenan, and they were like, I would, they were like kind of scary looking dudes, like you know, they just. I was like, I'd see him at the comic book sh- shop, and I was like, oh, those those guys from from Slaughter Shack, they they like worship Satan, and and they look like really evil dudes, you know. <laughs> And, I love uh, the idea of like running into someone who might be scary at the comic book shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. And um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, that's cool. I'm 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 happy to to call him a friend because I've always admired that dude for like decades, actually. So, yeah, it's always cool to talk to that guy. I really really appreciate him as a person, you know, as well as a creative person too, you know. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm going to check that episode out. And I saw you recently had Eugene as well, and I always love talking to him, so i got to hear that one too. Oh, he's he's a fascinating guy and probably one of the most easy guys to interview, really. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I I'm mean, I don't say this lightly. I mean, he is easily, like, one of the smartest people I know. 100%. <laughs> like, I, I've, I've, I just find his, like, insights to be um, sort of uh, riveting, you know? <laughs> but also the interesting thing about Eugene is, like, you know how, like, you meet people that are these kind of, like, raw intellects that don't have any yeah. refinement to their intellect where they're, like, you know, this guy spent his time, his life, you know, working at, like, a, as a delivery guy or something, but then you talk to him and he's, like, super intelligent. But Eugene combines that raw intellect with very elite refinement through the educational system you know what i mean yeah yeah oh he he, he can talk man <laughs> yeah. like that dude's like like tr- trained a trained <laughs> intellect you know what i mean yeah totally and, uh yeah the guy's like razor sharp man and and fucking one of the best people too like just so interesting and so got so much so many stories and just like just like insights into everything man yeah he's uh he's one of my favorites absolutely all right, so we're going to talk about heavy metal now, okay? We're yeah, let's our, do that. Our favorite singers here, and now when, what what sort of criteria did we have for this? It was just kind of like not technical ability, um, you know, not not like not saying that none of these these gentlemen definitely have technical ability, but when I came when I decided to figure this out, like who I liked, you know, I was like, it's it's just like that that vibe of like memorability i guess you know yeah and uh power so those those are really the only things that came to mind when i was like who who are my favorite singers like who i think are the cream of the crop when it comes to uh heavy metal vocals yeah 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 absolutely man i mean i think i think yeah i mean a lot of it just comes down to like who's your favorite but i mean you there's all the, the obvious. I mean, we have some of the obvious guys on here, you know, with uh, like Halford and Dio. I mean, I think those are on uh, probably any heavy metal fans list of of the top vocalists. I mean, they they would have to be because they're kind of like indisputable, you know. Um, but then, you know, I think beyond that, we get kind of into like 
personal favorites, you know, it, not that those guys aren't personal favorites. They are. Um, but, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, also, uh, you know, being that you're a, a very prolific, uh, journalist, rock journalist, you've probably spoken to several of these people on our list, I think. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have, well, I guess just two. I, I've, I've, Halford, I've interviewed many times. Um, he's great. Uh, and then I had the honor and privilege of uh, meeting and interviewing Ronnie James Dio. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, when they did um, uh, that last, uh, that Heaven and Hell record. Um, yes. Uh, it was like, uh, you know, the sort of like the reunion of Dio with Sabbath. It was, I forget what year that was, 06 or somewhere in there. Maybe I have that wrong. Um, but uh, 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 yeah, it was great. I went down to, it was like the Warner Brothers office in Burbank and I hung out with him. I did an interview with him. I, Geezer Butler, I, I did a separate interview with Geezer Butler. Just was there all afternoon hanging out with those guys. It was awesome. Yeah, Dio, I, I read his book that came out um, a little while ago. Uh, me too. Yeah. Me too. That that yeah. was actually a quite interesting read. I thought. Just um, I didn't realize a lot of his backstory. You know, I didn't either. I found the story like the story about. I don't want to like give any spoilers, but he had like a pretty significant event as a young man that like I didn't know about at all. Um, uh, you know, involving his friend and bandmates, like his best friend, basically. Yes. Um, uh, which I had no idea. I had never heard that story before, and I found that to be pretty, um, you know, kind of heavy and profound, you know? Yeah, I, I read it just a few months ago, actually. And um, I was staying with a friend of mine in Boston for a weekend. And uh, and he's like, I left this out, like, on the table in the guest room, you know, in case you, you have trouble sleeping, you can read this book. And it was, like, the Dio uh, biography. So yeah. I, like, I, like polished it off and it's just like a couple of days i mean it's a short book too but it's all yeah just it's th those types of um like when it's well written and the story's compelling it's like you can just devour those books yeah absolutely yeah and i read i read how you did you read halford's book not yet no okay all right yeah i would highly recommend it halford's book is great i bought it like as soon as it came out and uh yeah another uh awesome awesome book um just really, really well done, uh, all the stories and, um, you know, you learn a lot and it kind of puts his, like, I, everybody knows his kind of general story, but it really puts the personal spin on like what he had to deal with for like years and years. Um, you know, um, just sort of dealing with, um, his sexual identity and how that was kind of or not kind of how that was very much not accepted uh, by the heavy metal community or, or wouldn't have been, you know? Um, so it was like, everybody, everybody knows that, but it's, it's sort of like to hear his perspective on it was, um, was, you know, powerful. I, I can't even imagine what that would be like having to like suppress like such a huge part of your, your life like that, you know? Yeah. 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 No, um, I, I want your take on this. Um, I remember when I was, I don't know, like twelve or th you know whatever whatever age I started listening to heavy heavy metal, and uh, you know it was in like Cream magazine and Hit Parader and all that. You would see photographs of of Judas Priest and Halford, and I remember cutting out pictures of him with his like leather, you know, his yeah. riding, riding crop and everything, and hanging up on, in my room, right? And uh, yeah, do you think that he was the first guy to kind of put that S and M 
leather thing into heavy metal, like as far as that aspect of it? Or was there anyone before him? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm going to go ahead and give him credit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I can't, you know, you'd have to go through. I, Freddie Mercury was doing that look at some point, not nearly as extreme, but he was doing like the leather and the shades or whatever, like a leather cap and the shades. Um, I don't know if that was before, that might have been after. Halford might have done it first, though. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and examine, but, but, you know, Queen's not really a heavy metal. I don't consider them a heavy metal no, band. No, hard rock, you know? for sure. So, so I would say, yeah. So I would say for heavy metal, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with how Fred started. Yeah. I feel like Freddie Mercury's like leather, like angle started maybe with the game, I think. You know oh, okay. I mean? So that would have been later. That yeah, was like that was 80 in the 80s. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the mirror yeah. shades, like, like biker jacket, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And he had the mustache that, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. That was a strong look, man. I gotta say. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm backing it, man. I mean, that was like, and he probably, I'm, I imagine he sort of got that from like Tom of Finland or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time in that in that stage of my life, I, I have, I wasn't as worldly as I am now. You know, obviously. <laughs> at, yeah, yeah. At 15, you know, or whatever. Um, so I, I hadn't even seen any of the Tom of Finland stuff until like years later when I was in, you know, maybe college or even after that, and I started. Yeah. You know, you'd go to these like fringe bookstores, you know, you'd buy like, uh, you know, books that like Amok Publishing would put out or Feral House. Yep. And then there would be stuff like Tom of Finland. And um, for any guys out there who don't know what I'm talking about, there's a, a very, very famous in the in the, in the gay world, uh, Tom, Tom of Finland, artist, incredible artist. And he, a lot of his artwork featured these like uh, yoked up buff guys with like the typical kind of construction worker, uh, biker, cops, you know, mustaches. Uh, all the guys had these gigantic cocks, you know. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah, it was pretty much that Freddie Mercury look, really, you know. But instead, it was yeah. like a, a little English guy, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but the funny thing about Judas Priest, though, is um, my my parents. For any anyone out there who listens to the horror podcast, you'll also know that my mom and uh, was a huge horror fan, and anything that was like violent or you know had to do with wow. like, crime and stuff like that. And my dad also liked you know crime, you know cop movies and things like that. So uh, also my my mom being an Italian American is uh, you know a big fan of uh, Al Pacino and you know all those guys, right? So. Right around the time I started listening to Judas Priest, we rented Cruising. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, Ma amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Al Pacino. Yeah. Yep. So those two things kind of came together. And I still was like, I, I would already be, I mean, listening to Judas Priest. I'd cut out my pictures of Rob Halford. You know, he's got the leather hat and everything and like the jacket, the Harley Davidson, you know, all I knew is he was, I loved his music. I thought he was cool. And, uh, I remember the the leather guys in cruising and drawing a parallel between Rob Halford. And I was like, I'm like, Oh, he, he's like, no, I don't. And I didn't have, I had, I actually had two, two members of my family were gay. So even at that young age, I was aware of, of homosexuality. I was aware of my, you know, there was like a, a lesbian in my family and there was a, a my cousin was gay. Right. So, 
I knew about all that stuff. And I, I yeah. knew it was like family members. So I didn't have, I never had that stigma about being gay really. You know what I mean? But I thought like, I couldn't fathom that Rob Halford because I was just like, yeah, he's a heavy metal, heavy metal singer. It's like chicks and like right. know, debauchery <laughs> and all this stuff. You know what I mean? And it was like, when I found out that he was gay, I was like, oh, of course. It made complete sense. And I, I once again, brought my brought myself back to cruising and Green Man Alishi. You know what I mean? And how the two yep. things kind of like exist <laughs> in this like kind of uh, environment together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny, man. I, yeah. Cruising was one of the movies I did not see till way later. Um, so I was, I prior to been listening to Judas Priest for, you know, 10 or 15 years before I saw cruising. Um, but I think by then at that period, I mean, I think he had already come out. I forget what year he came out. Was it, he, it's when, it's when he, after he left priest, right. It was like, at, but before, like when the fight record came out, something like that, whenever that was, um, I can't remember the year. Yeah, because uh, that was when Priest had Ripper Owens as the singer. Right. So what, Painkiller came out in 1990, and I think, what, he split by like 92 or something. So we're somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, early 90s. Yeah. yeah. And Fight. Yeah. I remember Fight was, um, they kind of surfaced at the height of like the Pantera sort of wave. Right, yeah. That you was know? his sort of, that was his vibe. All of a sudden, Halford was on stage and like, camo shorts yeah and combat boots i remember yeah you remember um you, you, of course you know keith bennett so keith yeah was like a career like stagehand and uh yeah like I, friends of mine he would always get them gigs like whenever like these bands would roll through town they'd need extra guys like to load gear and all that stuff and it's like if you were you know that this happens in all the cities man if you're in a band and you you know you're on tour and you need gigs at home. That's like the best job you can have is to be on this rotation of being called by Keith to do these gigs for loading gear. And I, I did it a few times yeah. too. And I remember my old drummer uh, was a, was a stagehand for, uh, for fight when they came through and he was like, Oh yeah, they were great, man. You know, the funny thing is I spent like two hours polishing the drummer's cymbals. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's funny, man. I did a couple of those Keith gigs too. I, I, yeah, he got me a couple of those back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Those those are those are like if you know if you're back from tour and you needed some cash, that was like one of the best things you can do. It's like no strings yeah. attached, cash money. You know. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So what I was thinking, I, I wanted to kind of start with a more marginal guy, uh, and this is like all relative because our top guys would be uh, Dio and Rob Halford. So out of this list, arguably, one of the more marginal singers in the heavy metal genre was Don Dockin. Yeah. And I was, um, it's funny, like that, that L.A. hair metal thing happened in this very sort of uh, borderland in my, in my timeline. Because the year, I remember hearing Motley Crue for the first time, like Looks That Kill. And I was like thinking to myself as I heard the song on the radio, if this had come out a year before, I would be all about it. Because yeah. right when that came out, I was already kind of pivoting away from like heavy metal. I was like getting into like, you know, like Black Flag and, you know, you know, Circle Jerks and Suicidal and all that kind of stuff. And kind of like veering away from that thing. But 
acknowledging it as being a good song. Yeah. You know, but the Dawkins stuff, I'm not saying they were like punk or extreme or anything like that, but I always gravitated towards towards Dokken as a band, at more so than like, you know, Motley Crue or Rat or Cinderella or any of those things. I just thought they wrote great songs, and I thought Don was a great singer. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, the guy, uh, you know, he sang like an angel on those records. Um, it, it was funny. I, I So I don't know if you know this story, but before Dawkin was even a band in, I guess it would have been 1980 or maybe even a little, pr- a little bit prior to that, um, Scorpions uh, were getting ready to record Blackout. Yes. Uh, and do you know this story? No, no, no. Go for it, man. Okay, so Scorpions are getting ready to record Blackout, and Klaus uh, Mina, the vocalist, had to have some sort of like heavy duty like throat surgery on his vocal cord, and there was like there was a chance that he would not be able to sing again. Uh, so, and he kind of gave Scorpions his blessing and be like, "Look, you know, I, I may not make it out of this if you're able to do this anymore. Um, I think you guys should have a plan B to so you can continue." if I can't do it. So somehow, and I don't know, I, I'm not, I, I'm fuzzy on the details of how they knew Don Dawkin, but this is before the doc and the band existed. Uh, he, so they demoed the entire blackout album with Don Dawkin on vocals. Oh man. And, uh, obviously, yeah. And as the story, you know, and as the story goes, you know, obviously Klaus recovered fully from the surgery and they did, they did the full album with him, but they kept a lot of, I don't know about all of them, but they kept a lot of Dawkins vocals as backing vocals on blackout. So the backing vocals on blackout are Don Dawkins. And, um, I was just talking about this. Jamie from midnight uh, is also a, ma- a massive Dawkins fan. Yeah. And I was talking the other day and he was like, yeah, I can't wait. He's like, I don't know why those haven't leaked yet. Why? I mean, let's hear the let's hear the fucking demos for Blackout with Don Dawkins singing, and I, I'm just like, I want to hear that, man. You know? Can you imagine? That's fucking great. I I, I had no idea, man. Mm-hmm. You know that's, yeah, and of that's, course uh, we all, that, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, man. I'm cut no, and it's just of course that record was huge for the Scorpions. I mean, that's that's this record that basically broke them in in the states. You know? Yeah, that that's always the thing that I I love reading about all these European bands throughout the seventies that were kind of languishing in obscurity. And then 12 years later, they become huge and Scorpions for sure. One of those bands because they, you know, they had all the Michael Schenker play guitar. Um, you know, one of my favorite guitarists, uh, Yuli Roth, Yuli John Roth played for them for many years. And then, yep. uh, but I think, I think blackout might've been the first record that, uh, Matthias Yobbs played on. And that would be the guitar player that would, in the band yeah. when, they were, when they were the biggest. I yeah, think, I, think, I think that was his debut. I think that was his debut with them. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, yeah, I mean, I think they had a pretty good career going in Europe. Scorpions did at that point, um, but I, it was the Blackout record definitely that. Because um, I think I remember I actually spoke with Klaus Miner recently too for their new record, and he was telling me the story about the first time they came over here was 1979, so it would have been just prior to Blackout. Yeah, so cool, man. That's I, I I would love to hear Dawkins singing those songs, man. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah, it's funny. Like I think um, a lot of those early bands, man, like from that era, you know, like because you know, for me personally, a lot of the the hair metal, glam metal stuff was not my cup of tea, you know. And but Dokken, it's like he strat the band sort of straddled like that old school heavy metal sound too a little bit, like on the earlier mm-hmm. records, you know. And of course, a band like Wasp is more like, yeah, sure, they're definitely a LA heavy metal band, but they they always had this kind of meaner like atmosphere to them, you know. And um, totally, but yeah, Dokken stands out because you know George Lynch's guitar playing and and uh, you know Don's uh, incredible voice, you know. Yeah, and they and they of course famously did not get along very well, uh, and apparently I, I read a story in Classic Rock magazine I want to say a couple of years ago. Uh, apparently, uh, over the course of Dawkins' career, George Lynch physically knocked out Don Dawkins twice. Oh wow, man! <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious, but I mean, what a great! I mean, what a great! But I mean, you know, it's that thing, right? It's like jaggers and richards or or like jimmy page and robert plant there's like a little like antagonism between the guitar player and the vocalist but that you know the you know the 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 conventional wisdom is that you know that's what makes them so great and that's what made it work which which may or may not be true i have no idea but uh in in the case of of doc and it certainly did work you can say that for sure uh even though those guys did not like each other very much at all could you imagine being in a, in a situation like that though in a band I, I would not enjoy that at all actually i think this the screaming trees were like that too really like, where like the, the yeah where the, there were the two brothers in the band the brothers like screaming trees shows would end and the two brothers that people who don't know what the screaming trees look like the two brothers weighed like 350 the the bass player and the guitar player um uh, uh van connor and um uh gary lee connor uh, and they they were kind of and they were brothers and they were kind of at each other's throats a lot, um, and uh, so uh, on occasion, screaming tree shows would end like with the two of them like like mid set with the two of them like in a fist fight and then like rolling around on the floor beating the fuck out of each other. <laughs> wow, <laughs> these two massive dudes, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's a real uh, real shame to hear about uh, Mark Lanigan passing. Oh, that was a rough one, man. I'm a massive fan, massive fan. That was that really, um, yeah. That 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 was a tough one. That was a tough one. I'm a big fan. You know, I I I would be um, lying if I said that I was a big fan, but I do like a lot of his music. Like I I really like the Screaming Trees quite a bit. You know, but I have yeah. to be honest, I didn't really keep up on his later career. Yeah, no, I think I mean I, I like the I love the Screaming Trees too, but I think some of his solo records are 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 better uh, than than anything the Screaming Trees get. I mean that's my personal opinion, but um, uh, yeah, there's a couple of his records that I go back to with far more frequency than anything the Screaming Trees have done. And I don't and I don't say that to disparage the Screaming Trees. I think they put out some great records. Um, but yeah, Lanigan, man, what a what a um, a titan. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, you know it's sad nonetheless. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Now the tracks that we selected on this playlist, you know, uh, yeah. we have uh, "In My Dreams" and uh, and "Alone Again," right? Mm-hmm. Now, I thought about picking "In My Dreams," you know, because um, I like, but more so because of the guitar work in that song. Yeah, yeah. You know? But for me, alone again is like it kind of 
I, I'm, I'm one of those guys who I like the ballads that a lot of these bands have. You know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember, if you remember back to when we did our, our other episode. I picked uh, Midnight in Tokyo by um, by Y&T. You know, a ballad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm a sucker for ballads. You know. Nothing wrong with that, man. And I think that also, like, it kind of showcases the vocals a little more where the, the, the maybe the guitars and, and, and the rest of the instrumentation are less bombastic, like Alone Again you chose. Um, you had a great choice, Judas Priest choice, Last Rose of Summer. Um, and I kind of went that way, too, with one of my pre-songs. Um, well, I put two pre-songs. I kind of went a little over and put two pre-songs. But I did Before the Dawn, which is probably more along the lines of um, Last Rose of Summer in terms of the performance and the, the, the nature of the song. Um, but then I just put on, and this might be one of my favorite Jesus Priest songs, and it's a sleeper because it's on the Turbo album, which, you know, everyone gives them shit for the Turbo album. And I admit that it is not a great record. Like, I think maybe beyond like Turbo Lover and this track, Reckless, which I picked, um, there isn't a lot to latch onto there. Um, but I think Reckless, and this, and this is a more bombastic song, um, it's kind of really shows you what Halford and Judas Priest were capable of, you know, I just think and it's a track you never um, hear talked about or anything like that, but it's, it's always been one of my favorites. Yeah. I got to say something about Priest too, which is atypical for most of the, you know, older school bands that I like. I mean, I, I actually have to say that I can find something on every Judas Priest record that I like. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. not that's not true for a lot of these bands. Like I mean Dio, for example, he's a fucking titan. Or he was, I should yeah. say. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't I don't I can't listen to every single Dio record though, the way I can listen to every single Judas Priest record. Yeah. Uh that's true. I mean I, I there are a couple of like when 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 Halford first got back into Priest and they did the Angel of Retribution and that Nostradamus record, I, I gotta say those are not my favorite things i did not like those records at all and i haven't gone back to them but uh firepower their most recent yeah. one from which is like four, four years old this one i thought was like fantastic uh i i was shocked at how good it was <laughs> oh yeah uh, i thought it was, it was great re really yeah um but yeah and some of the later dio stuff is kind of not uh i don't know i mean it seems like he lost the plot a little bit but that's what happens but it, i don't think it i don't think it's sort of um I don't know. The other records are still there. I don't think it diminishes him in, in any way. You know, I saw them on that tour, actually, the Firepower tour with um, Saxon as the opening band. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's awesome. I wish I'd, I missed that tour. Um, uh, I wish I'd seen them. But yeah, Saxon is um, uh, the, uh, the all the few all the times I've seen Saxon in the last like 10 years have been great. Yeah, I've I've only seen them in the last like five years. Like I, I that's a band I never saw until I saw them uh, support Judas Priest. I think the last time I saw them was Motorhead's last LA show. Oh man, they 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 opened. I think they I assume they did that whole tour because they would have had to come over from England. So, um, but yeah, they opened for Motorhead on. Uh, I saw Motorhead's last LA show, and uh, Saxon were great. Motorhead were were great. Um, it was a little you know sad because I think everybody kind of knew. You know, Motorhead had definitely they they lost the step. There was no denying that, but you still have to be there, I think, to uh, honor the man and his legacy. You know, you know, I never saw Motorhead in their like modern period. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I only saw Motorhead like in like in 
I saw them twice in one year and then never again. I saw them wow. in 1987. I saw them twice. Ooh, that's oh, that's awesome. And then I never saw them again. Isn't that fucking that, weird? That, yeah. I mean, but hey, I mean, that's what happens. I've seen Motorhead like more times than I can count. I think I love them. Yeah. Um, but I, I did not get to see. I mean, I probably the first time I saw them was probably. Uh, um, I mean, it was definitely in Boston in the '90s with Keith Bennett, because um, they're like his favorite band. Yeah, um, totally. So I didn't. I definitely didn't see them. At, you, you, yeah, you probably saw them probably close to ten years before I got to see them. So I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I thought when when L- Lemmy passed, I was like, man, I fuck like I was always thinking that I would see them again at some point, you know, and all through those period, all through the nineties, I never saw them. And they, they did that big tour with Slayer and overkill. And I never saw them on that either. I didn't even go to that show. And I, I've seen Slayer probably more times than any other band I've ever seen. I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. I think, you know, this weird thing happens, man. And I, 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 I think when you're like, you're young and you have this idea of like, well, I can catch him next time. And you don't have ideas about like, you're not thinking about your own mortality, much less the mortality of these guys that you see as like, you know, um, uh, immortal in a lot of ways. And certainly Lemmy had that aura. Um, and you know, you know, you, you've never experienced anything like a worldwide pandemic or any of the shit that is going on now. It kind of like, that that will all like age and like massive events like that will kind of change your perspective and so now i'm kind of like all right i haven't seen so-and-so or i haven't seen him in a long time i'm gonna go because who fucking knows what's gonna happen whereas i had you know my attitude before was like i'll catch him next time it was like if it was like inconvenient in any like stupid way or like anything i just like ah well you know i'll just catch him catch him next time you know well, that, that's exactly my mentality right now, too. I mean, it's, whenever any show that I have any interest in going to see, I immediately commit to it and buy a ticket, you know, and, and put it in my calendar. And I'm just going. I don't care if it's a weeknight yeah. or whatever. I have time. Because I thought right. back to when I, when I lived down the street from St. Vitus, I remember obituary played like two nights or something there. I didn't go to either one of the nights, you know, and that was like five blocks from i just had to walk down the street to see them and i was too yeah know, too lazy to do it yeah and you and this would have been great because you'd never seen them in a place that small no no totally you know i mean i i haven't i haven't seen obituary playing a like a 250 capacity room ever so yeah Man. yeah so moving down the list here of uh from our less you know a little bit Actually, I don't know. It's debatable whether or not Paul Diano is more marginal or less marginal than Don Dockin. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on your perspective. I mean, I, I, may, I think Maiden fans are a different level of fan than Dawkin. I mean, it's like <laughs> definitely an obsessive thing. And Iron Maiden certainly are uh, bigger than Dawkin ever was, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, um, and of course, you know, the, he only did two records with them, Paul Diano, but, uh, you know, um, I think for a lot of people, certainly folks our age and older than us, um, hold those records in high esteem, you know, um, and, and a lot of, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, Bruce Dickinson is an insanely talented guy and I, I love a lot of this, those maiden records, 
Um, but there's just something about those Diano records that they're different and not just because of him. It's also like the band sort of figuring they're, they're starting out too. And they're kind of figuring out their thing. Um, uh, I don't know those two records, uh, you know, self-titled and killers. Um, there's just a different vibe. And I, you know, of course everyone points to, you know, Diano like was more punk rock and stuff. And I, and that, that's true, I think. And that's part of it, but it's also like, to me, when Number of the Beast came out, the first Maiden record with Dickinson on it, I think the reason why that worked so well is because Iron Maiden as a band had like solidified by then, you know? And they get, they brought in a really talented guy, but Iron Maiden themselves already had their musical thing down, you know? Like they the the formula was in place. And I don't I'm not using that like in a negative way. I just mean like there isn't there is an Iron Maiden formula, you know? Um and they had that kind of locked in. Whereas I think there's it wasn't so locked in maybe on those first two records when you have like the track you picked here, strange world um, is a great example of that. And then the one I picked too, which is kind of like, to me, the sister track of that uh, remember tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Maiden would never do fucking songs like that now, you know? And, and that once again, that feeds into my ballad uh, fascination with a uh, strange world. And, yeah. you know, remember tomorrow or like very ballady, very, uh, these kind of like whimsical like songs, you know? And, um, yeah. you know, it's funny. People think of Paul Diano as this kind of like gruff, you know, dude. You know what I mean? And he is. But his singing on these songs is fucking amazing, man. It's like there's like a yeah. subtlety to it and everything. It's not just like some guy shouting, you know, guy wearing a leather jacket, drinking lager, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, the guy, the, that's it, man. The, the, those... The guy had nuance in his voice, and these two songs here are, I think, are some of the best examples of that. The, the Strange World and uh, Remember Tomorrow are, are, if you want to hear, like, if you want to kind of blow up your sort of um, generalized idea of what Paul Diano can do, uh, he really, all the sort of nuance and the detail and the, uh, are, are in these tracks, you know? Yeah. Oh, and just to remind everybody, um, depending on how you're getting to this show, um, if you go to the Everything Went Black Media website, there's a link to the Spotify playlist. And uh, I'm going to do a better job of posting this stuff because some people have asked, well, where's this playlist that you guys keep talking about? But most episodes, and especially the ones I do with Jay, we always have a collaborative playlist. And, um, right. you know, if you're, if you're listening on, on, uh, on Patreon, I'm going to do a special post that's going to have the link for you to check it out. So... If you if you're not on Patreon, go to the Everything Went Black website. There'll be in the show notes. There'll be a link to this, and I'm also going to post it on the Facebook page. So you guys, and this, you know, these are household names, but this might be a cool like Friday night getting ready to throw down on the night type type of thing. You want to, you know, you want to get ready for the Friday night. You know, maybe put this playlist on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah. But but back to Diano, it's um, I remember reading. I forgot it was in Cream magazine, and it, they were talking. They were actually giving Iron Maiden a bad review, and because mm -hmm. you know Cream yeah. metal wasn't their thing. They were into like right. new, new wave and no wave and punk and all this other stuff. So I was reading about Iron Maiden, and they're just talking about how it's like some pale version of Deep Purple, right? And mm, I was like, well, yeah. I, 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 I fucking love Deep Purple, so let me check this band out. And I bought the cassette 
of killers. And I was like all about it. I'm like, yeah, I could see that. This guy sounds a little bit like another guy we're going to talk about soon, Ian Gillen. Like he has that yeah. gruff, bassy, just like fucking man, manly voice. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. And then shortly after I picked up that cassette, Number of the Beast came out. And it that, of course, was uh, Bruce Dickinson's debut. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy, man? Yeah. And, and it was, I was actually disappointed. But well, over the years, I've grown to really respect Bruce Dickinson. I, I do like the records that he's on. But I just feel like Deano is always going to have like that that special like place for me, you know. Yeah, no, I I agree, man. I agree, absolutely. Uh, so like moving up the list here, uh, of course we have the great Ian Gillen, who um, yeah, you know, and some of you guys out there don't listen to this old stuff. So if you want to really check out a curated list of of great singers from this era. These are some of the finest vocalists I think that you'll find. You know what I mean? And Deep Purple were one of those bands where after getting into Sabbath and like Led Zeppelin, uh, there was this guy that lived down the street from my grandmother. I used to hang out with his, um, well, actually, he wasn't related to these people. He was like a, a vet and he'd spent some time in Europe and he was dating the older sister of these two friends that I had. And for some reason he ended up living there and looking back on that whole story, cause he eventually would, would take his own life actually a few summers later after exposing me to all this great music. Um, he was just kind of this like troubled guy, probably had PTSD or something like that, or gotten, gotten into yeah. some, something heavy over in Europe. And um, he had his entire record collection at, at the house and this incredible, huge, like, stereo system. And I remember summertime, we would just listen to records. You know, this dude was, like, six or seven years older than us. You know, me and my 13-year-old friends and their hot older sister. You know, we were, like, crank these, <laughs> these fucking these tunes, you know. And the Deep Purple Machine Head record was, was probably my – that was, like, the number one for me that summer, man. And, and that's – Ever since then, I've been following Ian Gillen's career, you know, and the song Highway Star has been like, at that age, you hear that song and you're like, you just want to get up on the fucking road, man. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was probably about that age when I heard, um, I think I heard, um, you know, I think Smoke on the Water ends up sort of sort of seeping into your consciousness earlier because it's just on the classic rock radio all the time. And, and they play highway star too, but you don't hear it as often, I feel like, or at least you didn't back then. Um, but yeah, so I probably heard that around the same time as you. Um, I can't remember who was on the radio or if it was a tape at someone's house or what, I can't remember the circumstances of hearing it, but, um, I'm really glad you chose this song cause it's one of my favorite, um, it's one of my favorite, uh, deep purple songs. Uh, and what a what a um, what an amazing performance from Ian Gillen, man. I mean, the guy. So so I have a little funny story. So uh, uh, I'm 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 getting I'm finally letting go of some chunks of my record collection here. I have too much shit, and it's like it's, you know you can't take this stuff with you. So it's time to let go. Um, so uh, there was a this this woman um, runs like a, she does a heavy metal swap meet. Uh, like once every few months here in LA. And um, so I signed up 
some friends of mine, we got a table and we each brought a couple boxes of records. And, you know, there's like, say everyone, everyone's there selling records, people selling t-shirts, jewelry, all, all the stuff, you know, heavy metal related items. Um, and, uh, there's DJs there like spinning tunes or whatever. And, uh, some deep purple song comes on. I don't even remember which song it was now, but, um, my friend goes, uh, he like starts kind of like, you know, say, not singing along, but sort of like saying the lyrics, like as they're coming on and, and he turns to me and he goes, you know, he's like, <laughs> Ian Gillen could say anything and make it sound cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's so true, man. It's so true. It's like, that seems so obvious, but it's like, I, I hadn't thought about that until he said that. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, yes, a hundred percent, you know? Well, you know, it's funny people, um, you know, they, they kind of trivialize the importance of smoke on the water as a song, you know what I mean? And that song is a fucking great track, man. It really is. It is. No, you know? totally. Totally. I think I, I think it only it's funny, man. I think that it's easy to like discount it because it's just so like ubiquitous. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people like that's the only Deep Purple song they know. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. The uh, I don't know. Like, right now, it's probably about ten years ago. I was um, Andrew Hernandez, I uh, my my former drummer in Tombs. Yeah, you know he had he had a side project at the time called uh, Painted Rust, and uh, they they did like uh, like a tour, and I was driving them. You know, you're using the van that we used to tour in. So I was out on the road with these guys. And, you know, we were on some, like, drive somewhere at night. And, uh, you know, I had the radio on. We listened to, like, the actual radio. And um, Yeah. So we were talking about Deep Purple. And Pete, the guitar player, who, or one of the guitar players, I mean, and I've become really, really good friends with all these guys. So I'm speaking freely. And I just remember he's like, oh, man, this is, like, the worst song ever written, man. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, dude. (laughs) Like that's that's completely not correct, man. I'm like this yeah. is like one of the this is actually one of the best songs ever written. You know, I just yeah. like really really funny, man. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you also I, selected a track from uh, Ian Gillen's uh, short stint in Black Sabbath too. Yeah, man. And I feel like you know there there is a certain pocket of music fans and i and i'm one of them who love the born again record the the only black sabbath record with ian gillan vocals and and you know just to give a quick background you know dio came in replaced ozzy in black sabbath he they did two records um and then dio was out he went solo and they brought in a black sabbath brought in ian gillan uh formerly of deep purple at this point uh to sing for black sabbath which is like you know uh, I mean, even at this point, it was probably a dream scenario, but I mean, if this has happened 10 years earlier and like people's heads would have exploded, uh, like Ian Gillen joins Black Sabbath, you know? Um, but, uh, this record is great. And I just feel like it gets, uh, it doesn't get enough props. I mean, people give it a hard time. Like, oh, it's like, it's like the worst album cover ever. I, I did totally disagree with that. I think it's like, I think it's pretty cool actually. And the color scheme is pretty great. Um, but uh, there's just so many great songs on here. And this is my favorite, Trash, which was also a single. Um, there's also a track called Zero the Hero on this album, which I, um, I almost put on here. But what's notable about Zero the Hero is a couple things. One, Cannibal Corpse covered it uh, in 
I want possibly on. It was like the B side to Hammer Smash Face. I want to say when Hammer Smash Face was released as a single. Yeah. And I want to say that was the B side. I could Google me on that, but I think that's right. Yeah. It was, so a, it was during pretty, the during the Barnes era for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did it with Barnes. They did Zero Hero, which is cool. Uh, and then also, I believe there. I don't know if it actually became a dispute, but it's, and I can't put my finger on the gun, but there's a Guns N' Roses song on Appetite for Destruction that has a riff that is almost note for note, Zero the Hero. Uh, and I don't know if there was ever a stink put up about it or whatever, but it is something that people have pointed out. Um, and it's pretty, it seems likely um, that Slash um, would have been listening to this record when it came out. Um so you can do with do that you know do with that what you will. <laughs> now now the song that the Guns N' Roses track is it's uh, is a Paradise City. It might be. That's another thing people can Google. You can yeah. I don't know. Are you are you on the Google right now? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm always I man. Hey, we're all we're all wired every day, man. Let me, let me see. yeah. All right, let me let me. Uh, this is a uh, very unprofessional here for, of me, but I'm, let me look this up. Guns N' Roses. Yeah. That's the song that comes to mind, though, that would have a similar riff. That could be right. I can't, I don't, I, 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 to me off the top of my head, I can't, um, this is all stuff that kind of comes back to me where there's like, I remember the general gist of it, but there's like pieces missing, you know? Here we go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Paradise City. That's, that's apparently the one. Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's right after Axel blows the whistle. And then they go, yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. much the same riff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. And I don't, did it say anything about, was there a lost about that or no? Um, I just, I just closed the window on it actually. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't think there was, I, I, I don't think there was. Now I'm going to say something in defense of Guns N' Roses and Slash is that dude that, yeah. Okay. Yes. It sounds like that riff. However, there's only 12 fucking notes, man. Right. No, no, that's fair. No, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And, and and I do know that, I mean, I would, I would lay money down that Slash is a fan of this record. And sure. that he certainly, this is certainly something he bought or at least had when it came out. Um, I would bet money on that. Um, and I'm not saying he stole the riff, but shit, obviously shit comes in there. Like stuff, music seeps into you and on a subliminal level. And it's, it's, it's entirely possible that the way it came out um this kind of this riff came out and he wasn't like oh i'm gonna rip off black sabbath i don't think that happened but i think it, you know this stuff this stuff seeps into you and if you make music sometimes it comes out you know yeah totally man and and it is like kind of like uh yeah it's like a very um kind of a standard blues riff blues rock riff really so i don't yeah you know, yeah yeah but uh, yeah, I, I just for the record, I am a fan of the Ian Gillen era of Black Sabbath. That one record, I'm a fan of Born Again, and I liked I liked the album cover. Yeah, yeah, you know? agreed all the way around. Yeah, I I even I mean, that's kind of like Sabbath's, uh, you know, kind of um, they kind of descended into this uh, netherworld after this record came out and not to say that i don't like the tony martin records or anything but uh that was like hanging on to the, like the life raft i feel like during the 90s you know yeah i i also enjoy some of the tony martin stuff too and it's it's funny i see there's like 
a sort of new generation of hard rock and metal fans, like much younger people, like in their twenties and early thirties who are like worship those Tony Martin records, which I, I, I'm, I just find like baffling. I mean, none of the stuff isn't good. It's good, but it's like, you're going to put it up against, I mean, that stuff is like fourth best Sabbath. I mean, you gotta, this record is better than any of that stuff and all the Aussie and Dio stuff or most of it anyway. Um, so that stuff is like uh, to me automatically like fourth tier, yeah. um, but there's still some great songs. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But I just think it's funny how that stuff is kind of like there's another generation that sort of reveres that those Tony Martin records. Um, and again, you know, I'm not trying to disparage Tony Martin, but it's like, hey man, with the first six with Ozzy, uh, the two with Dio, the first two with Dio, he came back obviously a couple times, um, and then this record. You know, I, I put I put, him, I put all that stuff. Uh, above the the um the tony martin stuff there was another sabbath singer too besides him that i remember they had this blonde guy for a while ray gillen ray gillen yeah yeah he was on headless yeah. cross right yeah i think that's the one yeah it's hard I, it's hard to keep track after yeah after well after this born again really <laughs> but uh yeah yeah i saw sabbath at the orpheum <laughs> like imagine like wow like that's how diminished they were in the nineties. And it was on the headless, yeah. it had to be the headless cross record that tour because uh, it was once again, Keith Bennett was involved in my attendance at the show. And it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like one of these deals where it's like in the nineties, me seeing Sabbath, like knowing that it was probably some ringer lineup was very unlikely that I would pay to go see them. So I was right. able to go because of the good graces of Keith Bennett. And um, yeah, and I was like, they had some blonde guy up there singing for him, and I'm like, who the hell is this? Even is this guy who's singing for Black Sabbath? So yeah, okay, yeah. yet yet another guy lost in the yeah mists yeah. of obscurity in the history of Black uh -huh. Sabbath. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, Keith got me into um, to see Sepultura too on the uh, they hit the um, Chaos AD tour they did with. Uh, Ooh, with that's Fudge, a good one. Yeah, with Fudge Tunnel, that was that was really cool. That's a good one. Yeah. So in my reckoning, I, I put Dio and Halford at a tie as far as like most powerful heavy metal singers. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree. I have to agree. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal and in different, in different ways too, you know, um, uh, the way the, the, obviously, you know, the sort of the delivery and, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about like, I mean, I, I feel like generally they have a similar range. I hope we can probably go a little higher. Um, but I mean, I, does that shit matter? Who cares? I don't know. Um, I just, do you sound good? That's what it comes down to. Um, and do you deliver with like, uh, 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 strength? And I think, I mean, clearly both these guys do and they do it consistently over and over again. Um, and, uh, they sing about cool shit. I mean, I, you know, there's only, I, I, you know, I get it. There's only so many songs about dragons and <laughs> tigers and stuff that people can take. And that's cool. But I, you know what? I'm cool with that. I mean, if it sounds good, you know what I mean? I don't, it doesn't really matter so much. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I rank it a tie also. When, when, um, what, what really made me realize how great of a singer Dio was when, um, there was that, uh, that I, what was that? He, the hearing aid track. Yeah, yeah, you know put that together, yeah. Yeah, now, it had all the main players from that era, 
doing doing yep. they had a, a verse or whatever like you know right. a couple lines in there so i remember watching the video on mtv and they had all these other dudes they do their their thing you know and it's like oh, yeah you know and like but then when dio co- when his voice comes in he just crushes everybody yeah it's like all right this power is like man power like raw power here you know what i mean yeah. And that's when he uh, galvanized my my view on on Ronnie James Dio as being like one of the greatest heavy metal singers ever. And uh, and then years later, I remember I was on tour in Europe uh, with Anodyne, and we were driving around with uh, this dude Burned. And some of you Europeans out there might know who I'm talking about. This guy uh, Burned Borman. With the he was a famous um, uh, extreme uh, music uh, vocalist uh, in Europe. Um, for a band called Stack, and uh, he also, uh, you know, supplemented his income by driving jerk-offs from America like me around in, in a van, you know. So um, we, at that point, you know, I was, I was actually uncomfortable with talking about how much I loved Ron and James Dio because of, um, you know, <laughs> being involved in like a certain you know, subculture of music where it's, uh, you're not supposed to listen to heavy metal and all, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So burned while we're driving around, he put on like the live was what the, um, there's that live Sabbath record that came out with Dio on it. And there's like live evil, live evil. Yeah. There's like a night on the album cover and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the guys that were traveling were not in, were like down on it. Right. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I, I was waiting to see what someone else would say first. Right. And then burned who I surprised me that he put this on because, you know, he was like a vegan and, you know, and, and into like, <laughs> you know, what I'm trying to say like he, he was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, nice guy. Like, I, I love him, you know, but but, you know, he was like a vegan and straight edge and into like, you know, he cared about like causes and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> And uh, I was surprised that he would put on Black Sabbath with the Dio, with Ronnie James Dio singing. So I, um, I was like, "Burn, do you like uh, you like Ronnie James Dio?" He's like, he he's told me that he thought he was the best singer in Black Sabbath. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, "Wow, okay." And and you know, that empowered me to embrace Ronnie James Dio. See, sometimes you just need that little boost. Yeah, and they come. It comes um, from like the most unlikely of places sometimes. Yeah, you never know. You never know. I, um, I would like. You know, it's funny. I, so I would just. I would like to recommend to people if you want to. If you're. If you are like unsure about Dio, or you are unfamiliar, or or somehow, or or, or whatever, or if you just want to see like some amazing um, footage, there's two things I would recommend. One is there's an excellent, I think it's out now on Blu-ray. It came out. Um, it's Dio live in Philly on the Sacred Heart tour, 1986. Uh, it's amazing. The footage is awesome. The fucking band is slamming and he sounds phenomenal. Highly recommend that one. Um, and then there's a rainbow DVD live in Munich, 1977. Um, Again, amazing, phenomenal performance. Uh, the only drawback to that one, I say, I would say, is they they do that thing that so many bands did in the '70s, where they extend the songs out forever. Um, 
I think there's like a 25 minute version of a rainbow song on the live performance, which I, no one needs that. Um, but when, but when they're playing the song and not doing the kind of noodly extension of it, uh, it's so fucking great. Um, so I would hi- highly recommend those for people, you know, who, who want to get, um, to see some sort of classic, uh, Dio at the sort of, at the height of his powers, you know, I would recommend both those things. You know, another thing that I'm glad has went the way, you know, went fall into the wayside is the drum solo. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Good riddance. That was always a big thing back then. Like you would watch these live videos from the seventies and there'd be this like extended drum solo, like, and you know, like John Bonham did that one and, and song remains the same, which was like, I could have done without that too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know what? It, it, so Vinnie Apici, of course, was the drummer on that Sacred Heart tour with Dio. And I, I want to say there is a drum solo. Uh, I don't think it's terribly long, but if I remember it correctly, but you can also, you know what? It's a DVD. So you just skip it. If you don't, you know, you just go to the next song. Uh, the songs are um, phenomenal. The outfits, the stage outfits are phenomenal. And it's like, so it's great. It's like Vinnie, Vinnie Apici on drums, uh, uh, Jimmy Bain on bass. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, Craig Goldie on guitar is a guitar player on that, on that tour. Um, and it's just, uh, it's phenomenal. I can't recommend it enough. Jimmy Bain, was he also in Deep Purple at one point? No, but he was in, uh, he was in Rainbow, uh, at one point. Uh, and he did a band with, uh, was it Gary Moore or there was a band called Wild Horses. They put out one record. Uh, was no, it wasn't Gary Moore. It was uh, oh man, my brain is um. It was the other guy, the Scottish guitar player who was in both Thin Lizzy and Motorhead. Snowy White. Uh, no, Brian Robertson. Brian Sorry. Robertson. Okay. So Brian Robertson, uh, and Jimmy Bain. They had a band called Wild Horses. There's a couple of good songs in that record. Um, uh, I actually have a. Oh, this is kind of a sad, fucked up story, but uh, uh, I'll just briefly. So Jimmy Bain was caught kind of. He's no longer with us and he sort of had a, a lifelong uh substance abuse issues but i have a, a friend who uh also uh you know was a um a heroin user uh, here in los angeles he has since um recovered a long long time ago but during his sort of darkest days uh he would shoot heroin in hotels rooms with jimmy bain uh and he is like not a guy who listens to that music at all. Um, so I just thought that was um, kind of an interesting, like you spend all this time with Jimmy Bain and you didn't even care. Wow, <laughs> you know? man, that, that's, that's sad. It really is. Yeah. 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 It's like a sordid yeah. sort of story, I guess. Yeah, totally. But it's, you know, it's also, you know, it's reality. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think he, I think Jimmy Bain died on one of those, if I remember this right, on one of those like rock cruises he was oh, performing man. with someone, someone or other. And I, I believe I could be wrong. I, I, am pretty sure that, and it was like, like, you know, they said it was heart failure, but it was probably, it, it could have been, I don't want to besmirch the man's name. I think it's possible that if it was an overdose or if not, it was at least, you know, maybe the cumulative result of years of, 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 you know, extracurricular activities, you know? One of the coolest things is the fact that I was, I even asked like, oh, was he in deep purple? But like, dude, back then, in that era, there were just so many of these cats just playing on each other's records and forming these bands. Yeah. Like you said, Wild Horses. Yeah. Like 
That sounds awesome. Like I've never heard it. I'm going to look it up after we get off this call and probably enjoy the record, you know? Yeah, it's cool. There's some there's some really great tracks on that record, um, and I believe it was just the one record. It's Red. It might have been self-titled. I, I think I don't know. I have it somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's there's just some there's some there's some there's some there's some bangers on there. That's it's like, and this might be once again me romanticizing things, but it's like I always had this feeling where like a lot of these guitar players and singers and drummers and bassists and synth players or whatever, there were just like these these dudes with like a work they're like this workman like attitude, you know? They had their lunch pail and they just showed up for these bands. It's like, <laughs> all right, we got to put a band totally. together. Let's get Jimmy Bain, yeah. Gary Moore. You know, Ian Gillen, let's right. see what, you know, is he free? Okay, great. Have him come down to the studio, you know, and just go for it. Yeah. I love that, man. That's that's like why, one of the, another reason why I love this era of music is just how you would pick up a record and you'd be like, oh, geez, you know, like this guy played on this record. I didn't even know that until now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jimmy Bain, man, another, another legend. The track I picked for, um, for the Dio portion of our playlist was a rainbow song. It was a uh, you know, man on a silver mountain, which is like probably my favorite, yeah, my favorite classic. rainbow track. Yeah. Classic song. Uh, great. Uh, I mean, that song retains all its power. I mean, that's when I I'll often play that song. Um, when I go out, uh, you know, spinning records, DJing and stuff, um, have the the original 45 so it's you know it sounds great at 45 rpm it's extra loud uh and uh i mean that song is not um i mean uh to me it, it it's just as exciting today as it was the first time i heard it i somehow it's retained all its power um which you can't say that about many things but um that song absolutely um and and also i think personally for me uh the the do track that i chose last in line is like it's an obviously it's a well-known song um but uh i just think that song is just so well done and just fucking slamming you know and the sabbath material too man is like pretty pretty fucking great man you know heaven and hell and yeah you know and and people um you know at that at the uh expense of my own credibility i guess i have to say that i the first sabbath i heard was with dio it wasn't the ozzy stuff at all and when i then when i heard the ozzy stuff i was like i didn't even know if i like like the ozzy material really yeah i mean it's all a matter of perspective like where you come in you know where where you kind of enter the the fold with with this stuff kind of affects your preference in a lot of ways um but th- those those two records, uh, uh, the Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell, uh, they reissued them recently, and so I got to do I got to interview Tony Iommi. Oh man! Um, wow. Yeah, which I've only done a couple of times. That was like you know I, it was great. So I um, just ta- getting him to like reminisce about those records um, was great, and and the and the um, the reissue the remasters sound uh, awesome. They they were cool enough. They sent me like. They did the like, you know, digipack double CD thing. Um, uh, it's got a cool like booklet with like liner notes, and so I still I still have a CD player in my car, so uh, I just throw those in, and they they're that's oh, fucking awesome, man. I love that. I love those albums. Man, I should pick that up. That's cool. I didn't I didn't realize they they reissued that stuff. 
Yeah, I highly recommend them both. They sound great. Uh, and if you're like, you know, and I know you like to read about this stuff too. So it's got some cool, like, you know, information liner notes in there. And, um, and it's one of those, like, um, I mean, I haven't like a beat it against the originals or anything, but I mean, to me, it sounds like they did a really good job. I mean, it sounds, I didn't listen to the remaster and go, Oh, what happened? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it sounds great. You know, <laughs> is, is Iomi, uh, a, like, is it, how is it to talk to that guy? Is he like a, a guarded sort of dude or someone who's easy to talk with? It's a little, I mean, I think I, well, I mean, it's a, it's a little intimidating, I guess. Sure. I, I, I guess that's um, what I'm saying too. I would be intimidated. Yeah. Um, but he's like super friendly and very like, you know, polite English gentleman. Um, and, uh, he's great. I think he, you know, uh, a lot of this stuff, especially these records, he's talked about him so much and, um, I, you know, he's also doesn't like, you know, I think it would have been a lot more uh, lively to talk to Tony Iommi in the 70s or 80s, you know, when he was True. fucking, fucking high off his fucking tits. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, it was, I mean, it's cool, man. And, you know, he, I mean, he, I mean, it's not that he, just, he remembers stuff, but I just think his enthusiasm for like talking about a Black Sabbath record that's 40 years old is probably not on the top of his list. I mean, he was gracious <laughs> about it and everything. Um, but uh, no, it was cool. I mean, I can send you the links to the to the stuff if you want to read it. So it was, it was cool. He, he he did have some like cool insights and stuff. Um, but you know, um, yeah, I think it would have been you know, I think catching, um, you know, unlike with someone like Ozzy, who's like still a little bananas, maybe. Um, uh, uh, I think Iomi is like definitely chilled out a lot over the last like a couple decades. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, you, I mean, obviously, you probably read the Iron Man that book, you know, and everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I feel the same way about that book. I just felt like it was. It felt like it was cool, but it felt like subdued. You yeah, know? yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, that's our that's our uh, meditation on uh, heavy metal singers, and um, I hope you guys enjoyed Metal Massacre too. Uh, from time to time, Jay and I were talking about these topics you know, here and there. So Jay, thanks for joining us this evening. Oh yeah, man. Thank my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's uh let's do another one. Hell yeah, man. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>